All right. Well, hey, good morning, Friendship Family. It's good to see you. My name is Andrew. Uh, I did see Jay at the Daddy-Daughter Dance, and I realized we have enough men in our church to start an awkward dad's dance club. Um, Jay and I will lead that. Uh, man, I'm so glad to see you this morning and to be able to worship the Lord with you. Uh, let me kind of go back to last weekend. Last week was Easter, and what an incredible day we had. Amen? Uh, awesome, awesome. I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for the way you showed up, the way you served, pulled together as family, and showed hospitality to folks. Um, you know, every Easter comes, and it's like, who are half the people in this room? It's crazy, um, but it's awesome to see folks here and just the way you all loved on folks. Uh, we had 308 in attendance, which is about 20 more than last year, which is awesome. Um, and, you know, I realized uh, this week, my wife mentioned this, that this was kind of ours for the Tates, our first normal uh, Easter. Not that anything's normal here, but our first normal one, 2020, was our first Easter here, and we were online only. Uh, and then last year we did an outdoor service, which was, which was really cool in its own right. But uh, this was our first two-service kind of indoor normal church service for us. So we loved it. Um, 308 were here. Uh, we did have one of our young men, actually uh, my namesake, Tate Davis, um, gave his life to Christ last weekend. Uh, so an amazing, amazing day. So thank you all for being the church. Uh, it was a great day. And then yesterday we had another awesome, tiring day. Uh, we had our kids' color run, which was incredible. Uh, we kept moving the number of sign-ups up because we kept getting kids signing up. And so we topped out at 80, uh, and we had an incredible day yesterday. Thank you all who, um, who showed up, who set up and served, and were just a part of yesterday. Uh, it was awesome. Lots of color um, going on. I surprisingly escaped uh, unscathed. Uh, I did get a lot. Of, the only color I got was a lot of red. Um, and you would think by this time in my life, I would learn that when you spend a couple hours outside in the sun, you're going to get burnt. And apparently I'm still figuring out this life thing. You know what I'm saying? Um, so let me preach a sermon and tell you all how to live. <laughs> right. Um, if you don't know me, uh, I don't take myself super seriously, but I do take one thing seriously. It's the Word of God. And one of the things we're focusing on this year, we're calling it the Year of Discipleship. We're focusing on the story of God. We're going through the scriptures. We have this F260 or Foundations 260 Bible reading plan that we're going through as a church. And I want to encourage you, if you're not participating, please jump in with us. We're in week 17. You don't have to catch up eight, 16 weeks worth of reading. Just jump in right with us. We've got Bible reading plans at Next Steps. Also, friendshipwire.com, you'll see that Year of Discipleship tab. Learn more about that. One of the things that we incorporate is called a HEAR journal. Um, and another short story I want to share with you this morning is this past week, one of our ladies who normally attends our women's community group on Thursday nights, uh, she wasn't able to be there, but she texted, the, she messaged the group in uh, the kind of their group chat on our church app. And uh, she said, I'm not going to be able to be there, but I started a HEAR journal for the first time. And here's what I heard from the Lord. And aside, aside from Tate getting saved this week, uh, man, I was just so blessed to hear that. I love hearing when people are taking steps in their faith and growing and hearing from the Lord. That's what this is all about. And so uh, I want to encourage you to jump in this reading plan with us. Uh, it's a manageable one, five days a week, two chapters a day. There's some catch-up days built in there. Uh, so I'd love for you to join us. 
But we're also on the weekends, we're playing off of the personal Bible reading plan and we're going through the Word. Uh, we're in the last week of this series called Against All Odds. It's series number three of eight that we're going to be doing in 2022. And I want to give you a little bit of context uh, because, again, we're going through the whole story of God from the beginning of the Bible to the end. And so there's a lot of like context that we got to set up between sermons. Um, we've been in First and Second Samuel, and what we see in First Samuel is Israel wants a king, and so God says, "Hey Samuel, Samuel, who's, Samuel, who's the prophet at this point? He says, um, go ahead and give the people what they want.' And this king Saul was a man after the people's heart. Uh, he was tall, dark, and good looking, and he looked like he had all the qualities to be a great leader, but he didn't have the character to lead God's people. And so God ended up picking a man who was after his own heart, a man we know as David. And we saw him spring on the scene in a big way uh, last week um, against Goliath as he took down the enemy of God's people and the Philistines. And so Samuel the prophet anoints David to be the king, but it's a number of years before he actually takes the throne. In fact, Saul, who was the king, um, was jealous, and again, he pursued David with uh, the, the intent to take him out, to kill him. And so much of 1 Samuel, we see David on the run. He's running for his life, um, but yet he's anointed to be God's, uh, God's king over his people. Saul's son, Jonathan, and David become fast friends. They become BFFs, and they make this covenant together. Um, and David, such a man of character and honor that he honors Saul, even though Saul is out to kill him. And he declares that he's not going to touch the Lord's anointed. And so he honors him. And eventually, as you get to the end of the book of 1 Samuel, we see that Saul and Jonathan are both killed in, in battle. And then as we move into 2 Samuel, David has uh, assumed the throne as king. And so we make our way into today, 2 Samuel chapter 9, and the title of the sermon is Good Will Hunting. Great movie, lots of language, so put your filters on, all right, if you go watch it. And maybe that title will make sense as we get through the sermon. Um, but today, the story in 2 Samuel 9, uh, it revolves around King David and another young man that has a name that I know a lot of, it's kind of popular name in the year 2022, Mephibosheth. You know, it's on the top 10 boy baby names in 22. Um, tough name, say that 10 times fast. Uh, but as I was talking to different people and sharing what we were going to talk about this, this weekend, uh, I realized that this is not one of the big, well-known stories in Scripture. Okay, most people aren't going, oh yeah, Mephibosheth, I know all about his story. Um, and yet this is such a powerful and such a practical story for us to learn from today. So I'm excited to, to talk through 2 Samuel 9. It's, it is a simple story of kindness and grace. And I think this is the perfect follow-up, honestly, to, to Easter, because last week we talked about all about the power of Easter. This God who slayed the giant is the same God who raised Jesus from the dead, is the same God who brings us from death to life, and God is powerful. And so we talked all about that last week. And this week, we're going to talk about the fact that not only is God powerful, but God is kind. 
He's kind. And this just reminds me of, of a quote from the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote um, back in the 50s. Uh, this character in the story of uh, the Chronicles of Narnia is Aslan, who is the lion. Actually, Aslan means lion in Turkish. FYI, all right. Um, that sounds like a nerdy uh, J fact that I would, you know, he would throw in there. Um, Aslan is this, like, God figure, or this Christ figure. And... Um, there's, there's this point in the story in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where uh, the Pevensey kids, you know, the stars of this particular story, find out about Aslan. And they think he's a man. And so here's this conversation between Mr. and Mrs. Beaver and uh, the kids. And here's what they say. Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe. I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And I just thought about this in, in light of what we're going to talk about this morning, that God is, is powerful. He's, he's incredible. He's amazing. He's sovereign. And yet he's good. He's gracious. He's kind. This is who he is. And so 2 Samuel chapter 9, we're going to walk through 13 verses here. And there's a few things that, that I want us to see in the story of King David and Mephibosheth. So here's the first thing we see is that King David seeks out someone to show kindness. King David seeks out someone to show kindness. And we're going to read these first couple verses here, verses 1, 2, and 3. The first part of verse 3, it says this. And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul? Remember, Saul and Jonathan have been killed in battle. And David is close friends with Jonathan, honored the king, Saul. And he's asking this question. Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And so here's David asking this question. He's trying to find, is there anybody left in the family of Saul, the family of Jonathan that I can show kindness to? Now, I want to kind of rewind um, a little bit to 1 Samuel chapter 20. David, again, friends with Jonathan, he makes kind of this covenant with, with Jonathan. This, this relationship was so close that they covenanted together. In 1 Samuel 20 verses 14 to 17, Jonathan says this, if I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him for he loved him as he loved his own Soul. And so Jonathan and David, man, they loved each other. They were friends to the end. And Jonathan, he knew that God was going to raise up David to be king. And he said, hey, when God takes vengeance on his enemy, would you, would you care for my house? Would you care for uh, the, my people? Not cut off your love for my house. And, and so what we see here is David is seeking out someone to show favor to. 
He's actually honoring that covenant, that relationship that he had with Jonathan. And the key phrase that I want you to see back in verse number three is, is this. He said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? All right, he's very specific here. He doesn't say, is there somebody that I can just be kind to? You know, a lot of times when we think of kindness, we think nice, like just be good to them. He's, he's not saying, let me, let me have somebody that I can just be nice to. He says, is there someone in the house of Saul that I can show not just kindness, but the kindness of who? God. In other words, here's what he's saying. I want to show someone the same type of kindness that I myself have received from God himself. I want to show the kindness of God to someone in this house. Is there anyone left? Is there anyone I can show the kindness of God to? So David is seeking someone to show kindness to. Here's the second thing that we see in the story is that there's this helpless, hopeless young man who is brought into the king's presence. He's brought into the king's presence. Now, picking up again in verse number three, David asks, is there not still someone in the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba, the servant, said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. Now, I just want to give you a little bit of background on this young man named Mephibosheth, all right? And there's only one verse that gives us the context of who this young man was. Second Samuel 4, verse number 4. So backing up about five chapters, it says this. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. Here, here's the backstory. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name was, everyone say it with me, Mephibosheth. Very good. Y'all said that. It's not quite Boaz like we talked about a couple weeks ago. Mephibosheth. So here's the backstory. As soon as Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle, the word came to uh, their house and Mephibosheth is here and as his nurse takes him up to escape and to run and to hide, uh, he falls and becomes um, crippled in his feet. So here is this crippled outcast from a barren land. He's coming from this place called Lodabar, which literally means pastureless. So here is this, this helpless young man. He's an outcast in a barren land, and now he's in hiding. And so why is he in hiding? Why was that nurse trying to get him out of there? It's because he was the last male heir to the throne. And the nurse knew. Here's what happens customarily. A new king takes over. Anybody that's still remaining from that previous dynasty, let's massacre them. Let's get them out of the picture because we don't want the potential for them to take the throne. And so this nurse, in all of her haste, tries to pick up this five-year-old Mephibosheth and get him 
out of there because she knew David's king and he's coming after this heir to the throne. And so Mephibosheth most likely grew up fearing David, fearing the king because he was the male heir to the throne. But here comes David. And David went, went against all custom and all principles of revenge and self-preservation. And he doesn't go looking to kill that heir to the throne. What does he come looking to do? To show kindness to his enemy or what everyone would perceive as a threat, his enemy. And so here is this helpless, hopeless young man who was brought into the king's presence all right, he, he didn't just come waltzing in. David went looking for him and brought him into his presence. Here's the third thing we see as this story unfolds is Mephibosheth becomes an object of royal favor. So this helpless, hopeless young man who spent his life hiding, avoiding the king, he becomes this object of royal favor. Verse number seven, here's what we see. He fell on his face. He paid homage to David. And verse number seven says this. David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. And you shall eat at my table always. So Mephibosheth is afraid for his life. He bows before the king. He says, I'm your servant. Because again, he's probably expecting that this king has called me in here to kill me. And so he says, I'm your servant. David says, hey, don't fear. I want to show you kindness. And he begins to, to lay out what he's going to do for him. He's going to restore all the land of Saul. His father, it says here, speaking of his grandfather, Saul, and that land that belonged to Saul that was in the family, that was rightfully his. But he forfeited it, right? Because he went into hiding. He, he forfeited what rightfully belonged to him. And so David said, I'm going to restore all the land of Saul. And on top of that, I'm going to give you a place at my table, always. And if you have kind of, if you catch up with the story of, of Jonathan and, and David, this moment here is, is kind of a touching, kind of a tribute to from, from Jonathan to his, his departed friend, uh, from David to Jonathan. And I want to go back to 1 Samuel 23. It says, says this in verses 15 through 17. David saw that, saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. And I love that phrase because it, it just shows like, man, they were... They were friends. They were close. And here comes Jonathan to strengthen or encourage David. Verse number 17. And he said to him, do not fear for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel and I shall be where? Next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. So here is Jonathan, who, who knows God is, has anointed David, that he is going to be king. And, and Saul, uh, sorry, Jonathan says, when you come to that place, man, I'm going to be right by your side. I'm going to sit at that table next to you. And then here comes Mephibosheth. David, Jonathan has now died. And here is David saying, 
I want to honor my friend Jonathan. Is there anyone left of his house that I can show kindness to, that I can have sit next to me in the place of Jonathan? And here comes Mephibosheth. And, and, and a phrase that I want you to, again, pay attention to, back in verse number 7 of 2 Samuel 9, David said, do not fear, for I will show you kindness. Here's the phrase, for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Here's what David was saying. Don't miss this. David was saying, Mephibosheth, I want to show you kindness on behalf of another. Not because you're good, not because you're special, not because you deserve it. I am going to show you kindness for the sake of who? Did you catch it? For the sake of Jonathan, for the sake of his father. It wasn't because of Mephibosheth. It was because of Jonathan. He said, I want to show you kindness for the sake of your father. It has nothing to do with you, but I want to show you favor. I want you to hang on to that, all right? I'm going to connect some dots here. So Mephibosheth becomes this object of royal favor. Here's a fourth thing that we see is that Mephibosheth, he doesn't feel worthy but rather he feels worthless. Verse number eight, here's his response to David's kindness. He paid homage to him. Remember, he prostrates himself before the king. He paid homage and he said, what is your servant that you should regard for a dead dog such as I? So there's this moment of intense humility where he's like, King, who am I that you would show me this kind of kindness and you would show me this kind of favor? I'm, I'm not worthy. I'm, I'm worthless. I'm, I'm like a dead dog. I don't deserve your kindness. And here's, here's the fifth thing that we see in this story is that despite his feelings, despite Mephibosheth's feelings, he is given more than he deserves. He's given far more than he deserves. And we're going to read the rest of this chapter, verses 9 through 13. It says, Then the king, King David, called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce, that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And these are all, again, at the disposal of Mephibosheth now. Verse number 11. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. So Mephibosheth, who has fallen at the feet of David, and he says, I'm not worthy, I'm, I'm worthless. Who am I that you would regard me and... He had these feelings of, of being worthless, and yet despite his feelings, he is given more than he deserves. There, there's really no response from David. David isn't like, 
Ah, come on, you're, you're, you're better than that. You're all right. You deserve this. No, there was no response for him, from him. He simply gives him everything that he promised and more. He gave him the land. And then on top of that, he gives him these servants to work the land and the produce of the land to feed him and, and even potentially bring an income for him. He gives him all that he promised and more. And not only will he not be killed, right, which was his fear, but he'll be provided for. But not only will he be provided for, hey, you, you get to eat, you'll have the, pro, the, the land, the servants, the, the produce of all that. Not only will he be provided for, but here's maybe the most incredible, almost unimaginable kindness that King David shows to Mephibosheth. He gives him a relationship. He says, you have a place at my table for the rest of your life. As long as you're alive, you can sit here. And, and there's a phrase there that I, I want to kind of pull out again. It, it said in, oh goodness, verse number 11. It said, so Mephibosheth ate at David's table. And here's the phrase, like one of the king's, what? Sons. He brings him in, he gives him a place at the table, and he gives him a place to belong in the family. And he's not just a guest, he's a son in the family. And despite his feelings, man, he's given so much more than he could ever deserve. David says, your family, you have dignity, you have value, you have worth. And it's all represented in this table. You get to sit at this table with me forever. You have a guaranteed place here. And then, you know, chapter 9 ends with, it seems like this really weird kind of reminder. It says, now he was lame in both his feet. And you kind of read through all this and you're like, wow, all this is incredible. And then there's this last little phrase and you go, what's, what's that all about? Why would God just kind of add that little thing? Like, we know you talked about him being crippled and lame in his feet. So why this final phrase of his story because really you don't hear uh, very much at all about Mephibosheth throughout the rest of the Old Testament. It's all right here. And so why would he end on that phrase? Well, I think it's kind of a final reminder that reiterates Mephibosheth's weakness and his need and his, his inability in himself to earn anything that he was given. He was helpless, he was hopeless, he was in hiding, and he's been given all of this blessing from the king. And so this is the story of Mephibosheth. And, and here's the important part, because I think this is a great story. We see the kindness of King David. We see the, the character of this man who the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart. But why is this so important for us to see the story today? I don't know if you caught it. I don't know if you're tracking along with us. But if you are a child of God, if you are a follower of Jesus, Mephibosheth's story is your story. His story is my story. If you're not a follower of Jesus, his story can be your story too. And I want you to track with me on this Let's connect these dots. The sovereign king of the universe seeks us out in order to show us kindness. We don't go looking for it. 
We don't seek it out. We don't search for it. He comes in pursuit of us. We don't even realize our need until we see his goodness and his kindness. He seeks us out to show us kindness. And we, like Mephibosheth, we are hopeless and helpless. And yet we're brought into the king's presence. Amen. Not by our goodness. We don't make our way in before the king. We're kind of in hiding. We see ourselves as, as, as helpless and hopeless and worthless. And it requires this good, gracious, powerful king who draws us in and brings us into his presence. And by grace, by grace, we become objects, not of royal favor or just royal favor, but of divine favor. We find favor in the eyes of God. God the Father says this. He says, I want to show you kindness on the behalf of another. You know who the, the other is? It's Jesus. On behalf of Jesus, for his sake, I want to show you kindness. Not because you earned it or deserved it, but for the sake of Jesus who took your sin upon himself, who paid the price so that you could be forgiven of your sins, so that you could receive his righteousness, so that you can even enter into the presence of God and have a relationship with him. Jesus did that for us on our behalf. And God the Father says, for his sake, I want to show you kindness. And we become an object of divine favor. When all we had in store for us, we were objects of divine wrath. And here we are, objects of divine favor. And like, again, Mephibosheth, we are not worthy. And we may even feel worthless. Some of you have probably thought or even said, spoken the words, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the depths of sin I have sunk into in my life. I don't deserve it. And here's the reality is that none of us deserve it. We are all unworthy and may even feel worthless. But here is the good news is that despite our feelings, I don't care how you feel. And that sounds harsh. I don't care how you feel about your worthiness. We are given far more than we could ever, ever deserve. Amen. We have been shown the kindness, the loving kindness of God, the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness. We are brought into the family. We're given a place at the table of the king forever. We are given eternal riches and eternal inheritance. We become sons and daughters of God. His story, y'all, is our Story. It's a story of grace. It's a story of the gospel. And so how do we live? How do we live in light of all of this? It's, it's really simple. We receive grace from God and then we extend grace to others. We receive grace from God and we extend grace to others. So let me take a minute to talk through this. Receive grace from God, first of all, to receive the grace of God. 
So in this story, Mephibosheth, he didn't believe he was worthy. He didn't believe he deserved it. And yet, you know what he did? He just received what was given to him. And we likewise, when we come to this realization that we are hopeless and helpless sinners before this holy God, our only response is to simply receive his grace. Psalm 145 verses 16 and 17 says this about the Lord. It says, you open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and what? Kind in all of his works. This is who God is. He is a kind, loving God. Romans 2 verse 4 says this. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's what? Kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. It's not our realization of our badness that leads us to God. It's our understanding and our realization of God's kindness, his goodness. When we realize that, that leads us to repent, that leads us to turn away from our own way. It's God's kindness. Chapter later, Romans chapter 3, 10 through 12, it says this, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. No one comes after him. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Not Mephibosheth, not you, not me. No one seeks after God. And this is why he comes after us and shows his love to us. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ what? Died for us. Even in our helpless, hopeless, worthless condition, he showed his love to us. He came after us and he died for us. He extended his grace to us. And the only proper response for us is to receive. Not to earn it just to receive it. And then once we receive it, we extend that grace to others. But here's the reality. We cannot really truly extend something to others that we haven't received, something that we don't enjoy ourselves. Extend grace to others. And so one verse I want to share with you is Ephesians 4.32, where the Apostle Paul says this very simply. He says, be kind to one another with the kindness of God tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Here's the example. As God in Christ forgave you. The kindness of God that you have received. Extend that same kindness and grace to others. And I want to read another translation of that. The King James Version says it this way. Forgiving one another, even as God, for what? For Christ's sake has forgiven you for Christ's sake. Does that sound familiar to something we already read? When David said, I want to show you kindness for whose sake? For Jonathan's sake, for the sake of another. And here Paul says, hey, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, 
even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And I just want to read a quote here from Charles Spurgeon who said this, God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven thee. Get hold of that truth and hold it, though all the devils in hell roar at thee. Grasp it as with a hand of steel, grip it as for life. God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven me. May each one of us be able to say that. We shall not feel the divine sweetness and force of the text unless we can make a personal matter of it by the Holy Ghost. Y'all, we got to receive again that grace from God so that we can extend it freely to others. Receive grace from God. Like Mephibosheth, receive that grace. And then we are to extend that grace to others like David did. David said, man, I'm looking for someone to show God's kindness to. And so, you know what, this year we are in this thing that we're calling the year of discipleship. It's a year in the word. And here's my desire uh, is for us to be a church that is committed to God's word, that is so in love with this book that we adore God's word so much that it shapes us, not just in word, not just us saying that, but also in deed by the way that we live and by the grace of God. Church, I believe that we are becoming this kind of church, that God is blessing this church because we are devoted to his word and not our ideas and not our, um, not our slick marketing and all those things because we are honoring God's word. And I want us to be a church that continues to do that. But here is, here's the reality is that the more we truly love his word, the more gracious and kind we will become. Because here's what, here's what the world sees when it looks at the church in general. This is the general feeling of the world towards the church is that you know the Bible and the more that you know the Bible, the more harsh and critical and judgmental and unloving you become. The more that you know the Bible, and you know what? Unfortunately, I would have to say that's kind of true. First Corinthians says that knowledge puffs up. And so the more we know the Bible, the more we tend to be harsh and critical and unloving. But I'm not saying the more that we know the Bible. I'm saying the more that we love the Bible and the more that we love his word, the more we will be gracious and kind to everyone that God sends us to. Amen? When we love his book, yes, we need to know it more, but the goal of going through the word is that his word would get into us and that we would love his word so that we could extend the grace and the kindness of God everywhere that he sends us. And so that is my desire for our church, that we would not just be people of truth, but that we would be people of of grace and truth, that we would constantly, constantly be asking the question that David did in this chapter. Remember, he said, who is there? Is there anyone that I can show the kindness of God to for the sake of another? Y'all, we are sent as missionaries into our neighborhoods and our schools and our workplace and our world 
in our homes so that we can be missionaries and messengers of his kindness and grace. Amen. And so this morning, God, I just want to say thank you for that kindness and that grace that has changed me. That kindness and grace that has changed so many in this room that has made us your sons and your daughters that has made us family, that has given us a place at your table. What a gracious, good God you are. And God, I just pray for those who may have never received your grace before. Maybe they've heard that you're good. Maybe they've heard of your kindness. Um, but God, they've never received it. I pray that today might be the day that they would open their hearts, they would open their hands, they would open their lives to receive what you've extended to them. God, I pray that this morning for every single one of us, even those that have called on your name, those that have trusted in you, that even this morning again, that we would receive your grace your mercy that is brand new every single day. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your undeserved kindness. Lord, would you use us as your sons and your daughters, as missionaries, as messengers in the places where you send us today, tomorrow, through this week. God, would you use us to extend your grace to others, the kindness of God that we have been recipients of. Would you help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear the people around us that need to receive your grace. Help us to extend what you have freely, extravagantly given to us. May we do the same. From grace to grace, would you use us, we pray in Jesus' name.